0: I'm JR. Hello, I'm Lee. I'm Mark. I'm Simon. Uh, this is a bit new, isn't it? Yeah, this is reasonably <laughs> odd. We're all Skyping each other tonight. <laughs> yeah, even though we live in the same town, it's, ta- same, same time. it's so difficult for us to get together. Here we are on Skype. We're all in such demand. Well, this <laughs> is know... how... Oh, sorry, go on. Yeah, I was
2: going to say, do you know the odd thing is, is that even though we are on Skype looking at a laptop at each other, I am envisioning us at Mark's house, and I can see your expressions, <laughs> JR.
0: So it's going to rumble fine tonight, I'm sure. No, you can't see my expression. <laughs> I'm just checking the volume control, because you're all fairly quiet, but I'll have to live with it. It's well, actually, what? it's how I like it. I can't complain. <laughs> Everyone's quiet compared to you, JR. <laughs> um, right, before we go any further, we got a brand new message on yeah. our uh, Facebook group, which I'm trying to call up now. And it's from somebody called Jake Dinkle, or Dinkel. No, it must be Dinkle. And he says, Hey, guys, I'm new to the podcast, but I am catching up very quickly. <laughs> he's listening to it while he's asleep, obviously. Mm. <laughs> he says it has uh, that effect. I'm not sure what he means by this next sentence, but uh, he says I think that it would be extremely fun to sit and argue Doctor Who with Jr all day. Oh, yeah, that, I tell mm. you something, mate. It isn't fun's one <laughs> word for it. Is this what he thinks our podcast is? You three arguing with me? <laughs> <laughs> is that what this podcast is? It may
2: no, of course it is. It's four friends having a nice banter.
0: Yeah, and arguing with me. (laughs) He says also, I would love to hang out with the rest of you guys also, but a bunch of guys being cordial and allowing each other to speak would get pretty boring. Yeah. So obviously that's not what he thinks we're up to. (laughs) Uh, He carries on, JR, in one of the early episodes, you described the plot of a book where the Doctor keeps going back in time to do nicer and nicer things for a librarian. I had a thought about this story that I would like to share with you. Do you remember this? This is the Stephen Moffat story. In, yeah,
2: yeah.
0: Oh, what was the name of the collection? Short Trips, wasn't it? Short Trips 2. Yeah. Oh, yeah.
2: That's
0: it. Does anybody remember the name of the, the story? Do you want uh, me to look it up?
2: No, I can't remember.
0: It's called Continuity Errors, isn't it? Oh, that's, that's right. It. I don't saying that. Uh, Anyway his thought is as follows I thought for sure while you were describing it that the logical conclusion would be that the librarian would be upset with the doctor because he has been slightly less nice to her every day since she has met him mm. Thus the doctor would learn his lesson about the dangers of travelling through his own timeline and that actually makes a lot of sense doesn't it because if he keeps going further and further back and getting nicer mm. and nicer to her that means as she goes on he gets less and less nice doesn't he yeah,
2: yeah, yeah. Was that was that not um, addressed in the book then? In no, the short story? that's not how the book went.
0: Ah. I think each time, I think in the story, each time he went back, he wiped out the forthcoming timelines, as it were.
2: Oh, I see. I get it right. I
0: think that's how it was uh, <laughs> dealt with in the book. I don't know. It's a Stephen Moffat thing, so, isn't it? So he never yes.
2: says timey wimey. So in which case, he wouldn't be able to go forward in time. Uh, and then meet her and then pretend to be nice to her, or be nice to her, and she says, hey, you've been really horrible to me, and now you're being nice to me. What's the game?
0: I know, because it was happening in the other direction, wasn't it? Oy, Stephen. <laughs> quite so, quite so. Right, I'm turning the rest of the internet off now. I've got no internet on at all now. Blimey. How are you doing this, then? That's interesting to hear. Well, I've got emails and lots of Great radio. Lots of emails. All right, let's get through the emails then. Right, I've got two from Gary Davison, one from Graham Boyd, and one from Steve from Manchester. Any requests? Ooh, Graham Boyd. Okay, Graham Boyd says, Hi, everyone. Well done for keeping my attention. Almost a whole year. You must be doing something right. Wow. Uh, Okay, down to business. (laughs) JR, shush, you're wrong. (laughs) (laughs) And then he does the uh, smiley face with the tongue hanging out. Yeah, and whatever it is, Graham, you're right. It's a wonderful soundbite, I have to say. <laughs> Maybe we can isolate that and uh, use <laughs> it as a catch. And repeat on loop. You can next... work it
3: into the next scene. Yeah, this <laughs> <yeah.
0: laughs> smiley face with a tongue hanging out that he's done, um, is that a sexual thing? I, I believe so.
2: <laughs>
4: ah, I have a new fan.
0: I got a new if you fan. want to make that way
2: Jay.
4: got a new fan. <clears throat> Jay, you're wrong. Jay, you're wrong. Jay, you're wrong. <laughs> Jay, you're wrong. Jay, you're
2: wrong. Jay, yeah, oh, that works.
0: It's JR, <laughs> shush, you're
2: wrong. Jay, shush, you oh, that doesn't say work. Say word. No, it's
3: got to Radiohead. Say word. <laughs> Eric say word. <laughs>
2: you're just teasing now, Mark.
0: <laughs> <laughs> not... You can't hit
2: me. Uh... <laughs> That's true, you can't
0: too far away so what's the email say ah the email says neil gaiman is well aware of the internal continuity of the show as he Mm. in the episode references the fact that the doctor has killed read as time locked all of the time lords when house is trying to threaten him therefore that is not a continuity error it is built into the story intentionally so it must mean that it is set after they are all gone and then he goes on to say something about the master, but, oh, God, bringing up that whole house thing again. <laughs> <laughs> well, just hang
3: on you a minute. It nearly ended last time we about it. I
2: was going to say that you, you're getting a little bit annoyed because he's saying that you're wrong and now you can't defend yourself because what Graham said is right. Is that the
0: problem or what? <laughs> no, 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 no. <laughs> Look. Um, Go on. All right, here's the thing. When the, I always say here's the thing. That's my catchphrase, isn't it? <laughs> <laughs> We're talking about catchphrases the other day that is my catchphrase isn't it this is the, here's thing. the thing here's the thing if the time lords are time locked that takes all of the time lords out of all of time and space right yeah well, you know, if all the Time Lords are taken oh. out of all in time and space, okay, so House lives in this bubble universe, but the Time Lords who come into the bubble universe must come from somewhere, but they're all gone from all of time and space. Okay, right. you can address it with a line at the start of the story. Okay, here's a thing for the listener. This is the second time we've tried to record this podcast because we had another disaster, didn't we? We assembled oh, yeah. we assembled last week, recorded a podcast got to the end of the recording and found out that the recorder had not recorded it, didn't we? was mm, so a totally shame it. as well.
3: It was going quite well until that point.
0: It was a good podcast, <laughs> so we're going to have to try and rekindle it. But we did this, we did this email then and I, I came up with an analogy for how I saw The Doctor's Wife. And this is, <laughs> yeah, and again, on. this is not a complaint about The Doctor's Wife. This is just pointing out that he's done a Robert Holmes. He's done a Deadly Assassin on it. And my analogy was this: I said, if you write a story about a man, you remember this now, don't you? You know what kind I'm saying. If you write a story about a man who eats dodo meat, oh, yeah. <laughs> oh, yeah, yes, I remember Come, now. Yes, well, make, flashbacks make a point. then as well. Right. Well, here's the thing: <laughs> if you write a story about a man who eats dodo meat, you can explain it away in the dialogue by saying that even though dodos have been extinct for a hundred years he's managed to keep a supply on a secret dodo farm in the countryside somewhere, and that's where he gets his dodo meat from, right? Mm. But <laughs> if you're going to write a story about a man who eats dodo meat, it just makes more sense in storytelling terms to set it during a time period when dodos are still alive before they've become extinct. Right. Well, like <laughs> Just, is just thin- on a slight tangent. Go on,
3: uh, uh, I've heard Fenders are bringing out a Dodo meat lasagna. Uh,
0: now that we're on Skype, can we just click on Mark's icon and help you <laughs> have a <the> conversation? <laughs> oh, do you know what yeah. I really like?
4: I like the way that the um, the icons on Skype flash up like Thunderbirds when you talk.
0: We notice they that? do
2: exactly. Maybe we all need to do ourselves in like puppets next time. Dodo meat, really, Jr. Could you not have thought of anything else? <laughs> I was looking for something
0: that's extinct that you can eat.
2: <laughs> Tell me something else n- that's
0: extinct that you can eat. That, that you can eat? Yeah, it has something um, no no. that you can eat, because I'm making an analogy for house-eating T- Tric- or Texan bars. C-
4: Sorry? Texan bars. Texan bars. <laughs>
2: yeah, triceratops.
0: That you can eat. Well, I'm sure you can. But tough. did they become a... Alright, the point is, dodo's <laughs> became extinct because man was eating them yeah yeah that's true so yeah, there's my analogy the, the analogy is thus it makes more sense for the story of the doctor's wife to have taken place at a time in the universe when time lords were still at large so that they could be sucked into the bubble universe
4: mm. Mm. but i also remember i made the point in the previous version of this podcast that no longer exists <laughs> Um, that it makes emotional resonance by the fact that there aren't any Time Lords around and the Doctor is drawn to it because he thinks there might be some Time
0: Lords stuck in this bubble universe. It it does, but it doesn't make the bubble universe itself make any more sense. I didn't say the Doctor's Wife was a rubbish story. I didn't say it didn't have (laughs) emotional resonance. I just said it didn't actually, if you break it down, make a huge amount of sense so uh, okay you... but it, they in so, the same way as it doesn't if if the time lords are stuck in this
4: bubble universe then um that little conversation that the doctor has in the end of the world um with uh the tree woman what's her face and she says i'm so sorry <laughs> yes that's it she says i'm so sorry because she knows the time lords have all disappeared well if they've disappeared from time and space she wouldn't even be aware of them surely
2: yeah i mean that's a big but that's a big thing to say not uh, they, they've disappeared from all time and space because that would mean the Doctor wouldn't exist either so it, I suppose it's... No,
0: because he's not time-locked himself, no, he's time-locked yeah, he... everyone else.
4: Yeah, exactly.
2: But Oh hmm. man, but we're arguing about a theory that actually doesn't exist here.
0: quite, <laughs> right. I'm just trying to put it in <laughs> storytelling terms.
4: We're talking about a television series that doesn't exist, Lee, for, for God's sake.
0: I'm just what saying... What are you talking about? <laughs> in storytelling terms it yeah. would have made more sense. You know, if you're going to write the story about the man and the dodo meat, which mm. which makes you suspend your disbelief, which which causes you to have to suspend your disbelief the less <clears throat> setting it before the dodos became extinct or this man saying, well, it's OK, because I've got a secret farm with dodos on it.
2: So how's is eating dodo meat? I'm getting confused. OK,
3: no, 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 we'll no, just no, move. No. On. Shall we move on? Yeah. <laughs>
0: uh G- graham carries on and says as for the new master i'd like to see it cast older david bradley would have been great but to match mm, matt smith yeah. i could imagine aiden gillen from game of thrones
2: yeah uh the first time you mentioned that i didn't i couldn't remember who you meant but actually i've seen him since yes he would be a great master um so go and check him out online um yeah game of thrones he looks best in that actually
0: or as an outside shout, he carries on. If you wanted a younger version of John Simms' master, you could have the guy who plays David Platt in Cora. Mm, oh uh, no. <clears throat> but do you know who he's talking about? Yeah. Yeah. The guy from Corrie. Cor- it's, Cor- it's Corrie, isn't it? Not Cora. I can't say Corrie; it just doesn't <laughs> come out of mouth right. You just did. I know, but I don't like it. It doesn't feel <laughs> right. <laughs> i don't like it
4: i've i've, I've made the same um <laughs> connection in my head as well i always look at him and think he looks like a lung uh, a lung a young a, lung. John, a young john sim he does he
0: really does and not only that he plays a complete psycho doesn't he yeah he does yeah i do like i do a, like, do little like little i think it's time for the beard to come back but the beard could come back with shaggy black hair that would look just dead cool right we've got three more emails let's move on quickly <laughs> right steve from manchester or gary davison steve gary
4: (laughs) steve
0: oh Mm. uh hi jr right there's quite a lot of this so i'm going to whip through it hi gary and again that is not a euphemism Hi, JR. Listen to this week's (laughs) podcast on my commute, as usual, this morning. Thanks for giving my theory an airing, even though it's since been confirmed that Matt Smith is returning and staying till the end of time, according to the MOF. Still, Mm -hmm. it is sounding hopeful that there'll be some sort of involvement from the past doctors. David Tennant, Mm. for instance, is clean-shaven again, that's all I'm saying. Mm. Though I'm quite sure Steemo will integrate any past doctors in a far more entertaining way than my very poor effort. And again, I agree, we've already had archive appearances from the past Doctors. You need them there in some capacity to make it a real event. Still, as you Mm. said, fun to speculate, and it seems hardly a day is going by now without a snippet or a hint reaching us. It's odd how three three or four weeks before it starts, Series 7B is still quite low-key in comparison to the filming of An Adventure in Space and Time. But I Mm. guess that's happening now. Obviously, this email came in a few days ago because they've actually finished that now, haven't they? Oh, right, right. They've cast an 85-year-old man as the 37-year-old David Donald Bavistock, apparently.
2: Sorry, sorry, say
0: that again. They have an adventure in space and time, apparently. So I hear Donald Bavistock, who was, I think, 37 at the time of the events of the story. Mm -hmm. uh, They've cast the guy who played... um, Marco Polo, yeah, oh. <laughs> who is now 85, so he's playing what is it 48 years younger than his age?
3: Is that Mark Eden? <laughs> yeah, that's, Mark Eden. So.
0: that's what I hear from right, right.
3: Oh, and mm. do you know what
0: else I hear? I don't know if this is true or not, but mm. um, was it on the podcast or was it on Facebook or somewhere where I yeah. said Mark Gatiss would be playing mm. the third Doctor? Mm. right? I think it might be the podcast. Well, uh, anyway, uh, I think yesterday I heard that that might actually be true. Oh,
4: really? Yeah. <laughs> I've got well, to say, never... he,
0: could, he could probably pull it
2: off.
4: He's got the right kind of nose. nose <laughs> <laughs> I know that, um, uh, was it on Twitter that Reece, uh Shearsmith uh, mentioned that he tried on the hobo outfit, the space hobo, so there will be Power of the Daleks action?
0: No, 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 there'll be 10th planet action. Yeah, but No, I see what you mean. I see what you mean.
4: If he's yeah, if he's saying he's a cosmic hobo, then that fits in with that story, doesn't it, surely? Well also
0: it fits in with the only time the first three actors who played those first three doctors ever got together Mm. in costume. Mm was the photo shoot for the cover of the Radio Times for the Three Doctors. And that will be where Richard Smith puts on the Cosmic Hobo costume, and that will be where Mark Gatiss comes in as John Pertwee, and that presumably would be like a little coda to the rest of the story. The happy ending, where William Hartnell, just before he dies, gets to see what an incredibly successful TV series he started. Yeah. That will be yeah. the end of the story, surely.
2: Wow, you're, you're going to be some kind of genius if this is true.
0: Oh, it doesn't take a genius to work all this out. <laughs> Thank, thanks. <laughs> um, okay. I'm to get back to Gary's email, otherwise we are not actually going to get around to any kind of a podcast whatsoever, are we? <laughs> um, the remit of the stories as talking about an adventure in space and time seems to be expanding from just the making of an unearthly child to include Daleks on Westminster Bridge, Peter, mm. Dodo, and the second Doctor. Of course, when the Adventure in Time and Space was first mooted, everybody assumed it would just be about the start of Doctor Who, didn't they? Yeah, mm. yeah, yeah. Mm. Yeah, yeah, they did. And of course, from what we've seen in the filming, it transpires they would taken it all the way through Hartnett's tenure. <laughs> anyway, um, yeah. Garrett says, Not mm. sure if, again, we fans only know the half of it, or they are having to add story. But I'm quite excited by what we've seen. Those pictures of the original TARDIS interior are glorious, aren't they?
2: Uh, they are. Does look good. Yes.
0: Sorry, go on. But still, he says, I'm looking forward to eight new adventures and the publicity machine starting to crank up the hype, ready for the 50th proper to start. Oh, and one other thing. Another thing I've heard about an adventure in space and time this week, and I'm not sure, again, if it's true, but might as well say it. Um, one of the other things that is going to be taken in along the way as part of the story is the filming of the web planet. Whoa! Hey. What? Fantastic. Oh. Are they going to get Martin Jarvis back in? Yeah, I don't know, but I can imagine vacuum-formed giant and costumes. <laughs> oh, that's going to be brilliant. I don't know if that's like, presumably they'll be able to make those quite cheaply now, but can you imagine the expense just for one scene to go through to make a giant hand <laughs> costume? So I don't yeah. know if that's true, but maybe it is. It'd be a, a
2: hilarious piss take, though, when not it? Them bumping into each other, and you can imagine the audiences of today looking at that going, what? <laughs> that was entertainment? It'll be,
4: it'll be some poor bloke in the costume department. He's like, oh, I don't know these people. They want me to make vacuum full dance and all this stuff. <laughs> You won't actually see the studio. It'll just be some bloke whinging in the background about all the work he's got
0: to do in the space of 24 hours. That's what it'll be. Richard Mine. Yeah. Uh, we've got another email from Gary. Look, I'm going to have to whip on with these because otherwise we're really not going yeah, to get anywhere. wants to get whipped away. Whip away, whip away. Oh, God. There <laughs> we go. You started it off. <laughs> I didn't sing. Glad you noted after reading my email the other week that I don't take myself too seriously, says Gary. It's quite hard to get across what I'm trying to say sometimes. I'm far better live, he says, but it is fun to speculate. Also agree that I don't want to get too hyped too soon about the 50th, but I'm sure it will be amazing. I think that we often worry that the show will go away if it isn't on all the time. The word hiatus is terrifying for a Who fan, and any gap is almost like a weakness
2: i think he's right ever since it came back we've i I say we probably all of us but definitely me i've I've always thought yeah okay we've got a year that's good okay we've got two years that's pretty good three years that's good but will we make it to the fourth so i'm I'm never really very happy that you know i don't believe that the, the series will carry on the following year i just it's got to be that thing in the 80s that's stuck with everybody
0: all those mm. years later. Except, of course, these days it's just not true anymore. No, it's that no. Back in the 80s, they didn't really get... The people in charge of the BBC didn't really get Doctor Who. They didn't understand it. And I'm not talking about the stories. I'm talking about the series. They didn't understand what mm. the series was or how much of a money spinner for the BBC it could be. You know, it was the 60s when the BBC Mm -hmm. made a lot of money from Dalek Mania. By the 80s, there was a constant supply of money, but it probably wasn't huge. They just needed to understand that by, you know, by fermenting it, by just bringing it along in the right way, it could have been like that again. And of Mm -hmm. course, that's what we've got these days. And the BBC Mm -hmm. aren't ridiculously stupid enough to... Put the kibosh on something these days that is earning them as much money as Doctor Who is.
4: No, this is. Do you true. know? This do you true. know what it's like? It's like a spurn. It's like somebody who's had a number of relationships where people have been unfaithful <laughs> to them, and then they meet someone good, and they fully expect them to do the same thing to them. And that's what Doctor Who fans
0: are like. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. <laughs> right, whip, <bird laughs> oh, <flips>. Simon. <laughs> <laughs> oh, not me. I've been very lucky. <laughs> Is that Mark and Simon talking about their own relationship with one another. I'm about- <laughs> yeah, probably. That's what it sounded like to me. Yeah. <laughs> uh, stuff about the Master was interesting too. I think the Delgado version really was the definitive, which is perhaps why they didn't stray too far from that template, dressed in black, rubbish beard and so on, with the Ainley version who really became, with a few exceptions, Survival, the five doctors, a pale facsimile of the original. I really enjoyed John Simms' Master. A real dark reflection of the Tenth Doctor. The scene between them in the Sound of Drums on the phone is fantastic. The way the Master, mm, the way the Master almost wanted the Doctor's approval, both here and in the End of mm. Time, when he restores Gallifrey. The intensity and urgency with which he swapped the call to his phone when the Doctor came on the line made it all the more. That he says, intimate isn't the right word, but you know what I mean. Then to strip him of all that sophistication and suavity in the end of time was great. A time lord, Mm. a god, scrabbling in the dirt for food scraps. Again, brilliant. The idea that the master only really worked on earth, I think, is very true. And just a thought, could the same be said for Davros? By which he doesn't mean on earth, obviously, but he goes on to say, he worked brilliantly brilliantly in Genesis, but then his returns and escapes from certain death became equally ridiculous. But then, if the TARDIS has been taking the Doctor where he needed to go all the time, perhaps not. And that's...
2: Actually, that's, that's, a, that's a good point. We haven't done a podcast on Davros yet, have we?
0: There's not really that many stories to tell about Davros. No. Well, I don't know. We won't be able to... we it together. Davros. We will.
2: Yeah, yeah. But he's got a point. I think Davros would work better you know, kind of um, anchor to Scarrow, actually, because of his xenophobia. And, you know, once he gets out into space, it kind of his threat is lessened, and the world that he well, By the time we get is... to Remembrance... Yeah.
3: By the time we get to Remembrance, he's just a mum-roll-on-deodorant, isn't he? He's just kind of <laughs> lost any kind of... <laughs> right, oh, I want to see that, that Before, it it's true. carries on. <laughs> I want to
0: see that made.
3: <laughs> uh, JR's got it already. <laughs>
0: i've got it i've got it in fact That's it's not what you well i brought I it gonna... to the house didn't i uh we've got one more yeah. email go, go. from steve from manchester but you know what i'll save that i'll save that for the end of the podcast oh, okay. right, on, i like steve's emails and obviously there'll be a lot to reply to in that so let's get on with the subject shall we okay, okay. which Cheers. is uh davros tonight we're going to be talking about davros hey <laughs> are we no we're not i'm just kidding you guys (laughs) uh look the podcast that we recorded last week that got nixed that got lost Mm -hmm. into the ether was the one that we trailed the week before about um alien planets oh yeah 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 but because that's so fresh in our mind having done it i don't want to do that again now i think give that another (laughs) week because otherwise we'll be struggling to repeat ourselves and it'll probably sound all really horribly fake and phony. Yeah, a bit style.
3: Have you forgotten about Lee's short-term memory?
0: Um, Pardon? Yeah, yeah. (laughs) Who was I speaking? Look, um, (laughs) and last week, at the end of the podcast, we had a brilliant moment where I kept a secret what the (laughs) podcast the week after was going to be, and then when I said it, your response was...
1: Wow! (gasps) Wow.
0: (laughs) You all got really excited. Yeah. We did. Would you like to do that podcast now? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Joy. Okay. Um, this is not something I have any interest in whatsoever. So I think I'm gonna go off and make myself a cup of tea. I'll introduce okay. the what? subject and leave you three talking to yourselves. Okay, that's Don't cool. You dare. I'm just kidding. I'm just kidding. <laughs> I'm not gonna do that.
4: <laughs> no, because you got your you got your servants to do that for you. That's the thing, in your mansion. Yeah,
0: right. You haven't seen the size of the room nor felt how cold it is that I'm sitting in right now. You're in the shed. <clears throat> Basically. Right. Dog you else. got a shed? Oh, you're lucky. Oh, no, but you can get in the shed. In what are we talking about my shed for? We are tonight's the subject of tonight's podcast, now that we're twenty-five minutes into the podcast or somewhere thereabouts, the subject for tonight's podcast is The Smugglers. Okay, Simon, would you like to have a guess?
4: <laughs> Cybermen.
0: Oh, you didn't... Yeah, okay, Mark, would what? you like to have a yeah. guess?
3: Time and the Rani.
0: Yeah, all right, Simon got it. It's the Cybermen. <laughs> oh, sorry, was I supposed to try and be funny? Yeah. Oh, okay. I do try. <sighs> I should have done it the other way around, shouldn't I? Yeah, yeah, ended with me. <laughs> um. Look, the Cybermen, I guess... When we do a subject, what I always try and do is bring in a bit of the what, why, and wherefore. But Mm. uh, with the Cybermen, after you get past the first story, is there any what, why, and therefore? What do you mean? Well, I mean, what is the point of the Cybermen in the Moonbase, in Tomb of the Cybermen, in Revenge of the Cybermen? Yeah, yeah. In (laughs) Earthshock? (laughs)
2: <laughs> well, you're right. I mean, I think when they were first introduced, they were a absolutely fantastic con- concept. I love the idea of um, what was created. It was, it was Jerry Davis and Kit Peddler, wasn't it? That created them. Yeah. Mm. Yeah. So and that was apparently I don't know if this is an urban myth was a reaction to what was going on at the time with um, prosthetics and, you know, rebuilding humans with plastic and stuff like that. And I I loved, I loved, love that idea, I love that conceit, it's brilliant. And it, in fact, we've mentioned it before, but Spare Parts goes back to that original idea and plays on it beautifully mm-hmm. in it with a really scary kind of way. But you're absolutely right. After that, I think they just become foot soldiers, they become the obvious alien threat. There isn't a massive backstory
4: left to play with. Um, well, and it seems to be a shame. I mean, the interesting thing about Cybermen, I think, is obviously growing up in the 70s, the Cybermen were already established and they always felt like they were playing 2nd fiddle to the Daleks, um, mm. as in the iconic Doctor Who monster. People say, what's your favourite Doctor Who monster? Daleks. What's your second favourite? Cybermen. And that was always <coughs> the thing. Um, yeah, yeah. And uh, in that respect, I don't suppose that it, they ever felt like they needed to develop them anymore you, in a funny you don't way. Get anything
2: for second place, do you? no you don't get anything in second place and yet in
4: theory they're actually more interesting than the daleks i've always preferred them to the daleks but i'm still waiting for the perfect cyberman story i don't yeah yeah you know
0: but you say that in theory they're more interesting than the daleks yeah but are they because in theory they're really not that much different from the daleks it's a metal house for a human interior basically
4: yeah, but the, yeah. I think they're, they're that, that little bit closer to who we are.
0: Um,
4: and in that respect, you know, the fact that they were, orig- I mean, I know Daleks were, but I mean, let's face it,
0: Daleks are now a blob in a, in a casing. Whereas, True, but Daleks s- still have the power to connive and to yeah. get emotional over things. Whereas mm. uh, since the 10th planet, in fact, not even in the 10th planet, you know, ever since whenever the Cybermen just don't. No, no. Um,
2: No, you do get that very small amount of emotion coming through, I think, in Doomsday, isn't it? Yeah. Doomsday, I can't remember which one it was now. (laughs) Doomsday, Doomsday. It is Doomsday, isn't it? With um, What's Her Face from Torchwood having crying a little tear of oil and stuff like that. You know, you do get that kind of (laughs) half-made, half-bred, and then there was the emotional chip moment, you know, I'm so sorry, from David Tennant. So you do get these little splashes of emotions coming through, which actually become detrimental to what they've become as is Cybermen, and they have to die because they can't handle the emotion side of it. So mm. that's quite good, playing on that angle, but it hasn't really been looked at a lot. It'd be really interesting to see what Neil Gaiman does with them, actually.
0: But well, let's a come lot... to Neil Gaiman later. Go on, Simon.
4: I was going to say, there's a lot of potential as far as body horror, and that isn't really touched on. I mean, I loved... Well, it's a children's <clears throat> series, that's the trouble. Yeah, yes, but... Yeah, uh, and okay. we want
0: to see... good. Guts and organs. <laughs> well you're never but then... gonna see guts and organs. In Attack of the Cybermen, they probably took it as far as they could yeah, and probably took it too far. Say would. Yeah, that's but in um Doomsday, mm. you got to see the inside of a cyber factory, right?
2: Yeah. Yeah, we did.
0: Exactly. And you didn't get to see much, but you just got a glimpse. You got a kind of a taster uh, for how mm. horrible it probably would be if you could see it.
4: Yeah, and also the Pandorica opens. You've got the business with the skull in the in the head case. That's as close as yeah. horrifying as I've I've found yeah. the Cybermen personally. And I that's, thought it was fantastic.
2: Actually, yeah, good redesign, and I thought it was the best thing in the entire episode.
4: <laughs> yeah, yeah, I have to agree. Actually, I really did
0: love that. Um, but in terms of the Cybermen on screen and what the writers do with them Mm. in between the 10th planet and attack of the Cybermen, they're just robots, right? Yeah. Yeah. Mm. I mean, it's a they are. sorry, go on. They they are, they're just robots, right? Yeah. Mark,
3: were you going to say something? No, I said, well, they just kind of become generic. Generic bad monsters. guys don't they yeah. Yeah. it's just yeah. there's not really much to them which is there's, a shame because it's such a great concept that
4: kind of ties in with the uh, the and era of, as we've said in a previous episode where you've got so many of these stories where it's it's almost like a generic monster uh stationed under under siege that sort of thing and it's it, you could inter, you know you could have ice warriors in one
0: story cybermen in another and not a lot of it in between really and I tell you what as well <clears throat> because Terry Nation had just taken the Daleks off to America to try and flog them there and the BBC had to knock the Daleks on the head, basically immediately after that, you suddenly get the tomb of the Cybermen, the wheel in space and the invasion in quick succession. Yeah. Mm. They're they're Dalek stories with Cybermen instead of Daleks, really. Was, was there a plan, you know, when they were
4: first invented for them to be the new Daleks? I mean, was that, that the idea from the 10th planet onwards
0: or i don't think it was necessarily the idea i think that's what they became because of the timing if you look at the 10th planet that's not a million miles away really from the daleks the very first dalek story it's about Mm. um a bunch of people who have replaced their bodies with steel basically with Mm. metal and um taking the emotions out in so doing Although obviously, um, you know the Daleks don't entirely, but it depends on who the writer is. But with the Cybermen, do, nobody can write them uh, as anything but robots. That's the trouble.
2: Do you mm. do you think um, you know? I mean that when you compare them to the Daleks, you had the Daleks starting to kind of become a little bit stale, and then suddenly the, the introduction of Davros kind of pepped them up again and made them interesting. And okay, it diminished their threat because davros was now in charge of them or he was the creator he was the big boss but it made it more interesting you also had that slightly human mutant element to it not mutant but human you know that kind of somebody in a mask actually talking quite intelligent with his minions around him the cybermen never really had that they had the cyber controller didn't they and things but it wasn't quite the same until John Lumic, John Lumic was thrown in the mix, and actually, that was quite disappointing. <laughs> I didn't think John Lumic <laughs> he had was... Yeah, the one in uh, The Invasion,
3: there was a bit like a soda stream that was sort of hidden away behind Kevin Stoney. <laughs> oh, yeah, yeah.
2: He was in the closet. <laughs> yeah, exactly. It wasn't quite... Yeah, exactly. I mean, you do need that. You need kind of a big boss, I suppose, of them, but it would have been great to have maybe... The, I don't know, something that was a little bit opposite, somebody who is completely reconfigured so uh, Tobias Vaughn actually had a little bit of cybernetics inside him and that really worked yeah because he you know that's that's why that story is so good to me I love Tobias Vaughn the Cybermen are secondary
4: that is the potential of the Cybermen though isn't it is is to well let's face it Star Trek not so much ripped it off but they took it to the stage what they didn't with the Cybermen with the Borg this this idea of yeah. assimilation, and that that's the that's the frightening aspect of the Cybermen. That's where children will be hiding behind the sofa because they don't
0: want to be turned into a Cyberman. And I don't think that's explored enough. It's not. And I tell you what Cyberman's which Cyberman story kind of works best for me. And it's not one of the classic Cybermen stories, but in terms of how the Cybermen are used and how the interaction is between the rest of the cast. The one that works best for me is Revenge of the Cybermen. Hmm. Because not only... Oh. You've got the Cybermen versus the Voguns, and you've <laughs> got... Um, oh, I can't remember the actor or the character's name, but the one on the space station, the one on the wheel, who is in league with, well, the Voguns, as it turns out. To and destroy... Kelman, isn't Ke- it? Yes, Kellner, is that right? Kelman or Kellner or something like that. Kellman, something like that, yes. But anyway, he's in league with the Cybermen, but actually he's double-crossing the Cybermen. He's in league with the Vogans. They tried the same thing again in Attack of the Cybermen with the guy who had been in Resurrection of the Daleks. Lytton, yes. I don't know, something about being here looking at you all three on a screen instead of in person. <laughs> my brain's gone even further to mush than it normally does. <laughs> <laughs> but the point is, Revenge of the Cybermen actually tells quite an interesting story and the Cybermen are almost incidental to it. Yeah,
2: yeah. I, yeah, yeah, Revenge of the Cybermen's an old one, isn't it? That is a very strange... Because that was their big comeback. <laughs> yeah, it was quite a bizarre rag-taggle... Uh, what was it? The Doctor said something like... You're nothing but a pathetic bunch of tin soldiers soldiers skulking... What did he say? Skulking about the galaxy. Yeah, in an old spaceship or something. And, you know, he got it in a nutshell there. And actually that that made it... It did make him quite interesting because they're a bit like rebels. They're a little bit on the edge. You could have made them even more kind of a bit mental and crazy. (laughs) You know, maybe their cybernetics were rusting or
0: something. There was a reason for that. Yeah. And that is that... But well, in spite of the fact that it's got Jerry Davis's name on the credits, Jerry Davis didn't <laughs> write that. Um, Barry Letts set that season up, season 12, before he left the job, and Philip Hinchcliffe inherited those stories, Genesis of the Daleks mm-hmm. and Revenge yeah. of the Cybermen. And Jerry Davis had written a pretty standard 1960s-style Cyberman oh. story, and Robert Holmes and Philip Hinchcliffe looked, took one look at the script and said, no, that is absolute bollocks. We're not having that. And so, those are exact words, Jeff. yes. It's in the it's in the season twelve script book. I've got it around here somewhere. I can probably see it. there it is. I can see it on my shelf. It's in the season twelve script book. Absolute bollocks, he said. And so, Philip Hinchcliffe, Philip Hinchcliffe, got Robert Holmes to rewrite it. But Robert Holmes, as you can imagine, does not like writing for robots. Very much like Stephen Moffat. Mm -hmm. Robert Holmes and Stephen Moffat actually have quite a bit in common. But the point was, and there's my catchphrase again, the point, I'm going to have to, somebody, uh, Simon, can you edit every time I say the word point? Can you edit that out of the podcast? And put the word, maybe, I don't know, Sayward in instead? Ooh. (coughs) Anyway, the Sayward is, (laughs) when Robert (laughs) Holmes gets hold of it, He's got a fairly standard Cyberman story with lots of Cyberman action and lots of really dull dialogue and a pretty dull story. And he rewrites it from the bottom up. Invents all that crap about gold and all this kind of stuff. But he he turns, he put the line, you're just a (laughs) bunch of pathetic tin soldiers into the script because that was how he felt about the Cyberman, (laughs) about the Cybermen full stop. That's Robert Holmes editing, you know, Being editorial on his own scripts and that's how revenge of the cybermen came about and why it is such a mixed bag of a story because Mm. it's got a little bit of what jerry davis wrote and a whole lot of robert holmes and of course the cybermen are sidelined by the addition of the vogans the The, introduction
3: uh, of the gold thing i think that just completely undermined them even more. Yeah. And it just got worse and worse each time they came back.
0: Well, that's the now, By
3: the time you get to Silver Nemesis, it's just yeah. ridiculous.
0: Well, that's the thing. Robert Holmes will put something like that in his script because he doesn't like the script and he just thinks, oh, what the hell? And he'll just put yeah. something like that in to amuse himself. But, of course, Robert Holmes being such a legend... You know, it's like he's like one of these people that everybody... Because he's a legend, everybody takes everything he does so seriously. <laughs> and what they don't realise is, most of the time, it's yeah. just a, his really dark sense of humour. So he puts something like the gold in in Revenge of the Cybermen, which makes a mockery of the six previous stories, or the five previous stories, however many it is, makes an absolute mm. mockery of it. And, you know, next time there's a Cyberman story, that should be completely <clears> forgotten. <throat> <laughs> That's the kind of thing that should be completely forgotten about. And yet.
3: Uh, but they had Ian Levine around to point out all the uh, continuities. So oh, not at the time. No, no chance them, of missing that. He
0: was gone then.
3: Hmm? That was. Earthshock, mm-hmm. though, definitely.
0: There's some. Because... Yes, of course, there is gold in her shock, isn't there? Because there's Adric's yeah. badge. Mm.
3: Mm.
1: Yeah. Adric's
0: badge. Doesn't... That should be the name of a band, shouldn't it? Adric's badge? <laughs> that, that doesn't sound. Right. Sounds slightly
3: dirty. Adric's ashes
0: would be better.
2: <laughs> oh.
0: Adjective to ashes, funk to funky.
2: I, we all knew this was going to happen, didn't we? we? That was the pause there. Um, yes. <laughs> listen, with, with the gold, um, I always, as a kid... I liked that, I liked the fact they were allergic to gold as an adult it's the stupidest thing ever isn't it, you think about it, it's just ridiculous but for some reason it appealed to me as a kid thinking they had an Achilles heel that, you know, okay, well if the do- if the cybernism were to come in I'd go to my mum's jewellery drawer and get out that piece of gold and then rub it in his chest and it'd be dead but, you know, I did, I did learn later that it, there was no gold in my house because we were poor, but anyway so I'd have been dead <laughs> Wow,
0: but you do when you're a kid you fixate on things like that, don't you? Yeah, yeah. Oh, ha, ha, ha. You
4: tried to destroy me with your fool's gold.
2: What <laughs> was that Simon's impression of a Cyberman? That was terrible. I oh, yeah. excellent. That was better. What? We know
0: that yeah. you waterhouse is a monkey. Oh my
2: god! <laughs> Can you do the first Cybermen? That uh, they got great voices. <laughs> <laughs> That's like the club singer version.
4: Yeah.
0: <laughs> oh my god. Moving Have
3: you guys heard of a a radio show called Cabin Pressure? Cabin Pressure. Mm. No. It's got Benedict Cumberbatch in it and uh there's one episode where they have to they play games to sort of pass the time and they can only use words that have one sound like one syllable and he ends up sounding just like a 10th planet cyberman does he really
0: yes he does <laughs> <laughs> embarrassing <laughs>
4: uh, i miss them though in a weird way
0: what the
2: cybermen or the, the first the, cybermen? the
4: 10th planet cybermen i just think they could have done more of yeah. them uh, i think
0: they're great
2: I don't, I don't know whether, you know, if we were to see spare parts, OK, ever turn up on TV. Would You're they be obsessed able to get... with
0: that, Lee. Absolutely obsessed with that.
2: I am. I think it's the best big finished ever uh, on this planet. It's beautiful. But um, no, seriously, I mean, would I don't know what the modern audience would think of those strange vocals. Would they find them just amusing and silly or quite creepy?
0: Well, they wouldn't do it with those vocals. No,
4: they wouldn't. But, well, if they did do it, they'd have to. Why would they?
2: Because it's what they sounded like in the first one,
4: but they do yeah. it they do it with a vocoder, so they would make them like like mono pitched like that, but they would it would sound more electronic, yeah. I think sound a bit more convincing,
2: <clears throat> they sound a bit like Justin Bieber with his vocalizer stuff that he does,
0: yeah,
3: yeah, yeah, what freaks me out about the tenth planet Cybermen is you can kind of see the eyes behind the sort of mm. black makeup in mm. behind the mask mm. There's something a bit odd about that.
0: And also what's odd is when he opens his mouth to speak and it's a human oh, yeah. mouth and the voice that comes out <laughs> yeah. has got absolutely nothing to do oh. with it. Yeah, this mm-hmm. makes him odd, though, doesn't it? Really odd.
4: Yeah, that's, yeah, what yeah, yeah. But
0: that's good, that's good, isn't it? Yeah, yeah. I don't think it was intentional. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I don't know, because there's, unlike the Ice Warriors... The Ice Warriors, the guy who's playing it, is trying to mouth along with the pre-recorded words that somebody else has has recorded you know, already. But with the Cybermen, there's not even an attempt to do that. He literally just opens his mouth and the voice comes out. It's Mm. quite deliberate. Well, they're better ventriloquist than
4: that woman with a monkey. Who's that woman on? Oh, dear, she's awful. You seen her? I don't know. It's a
0: monkey Matthew (laughs) (laughs) Walterhouse.
4: What are you talking about, Brett? oh there's this woman on the comic relief let's dance for comic relief this woman with a little monkey and she's i think, dancing with the monkey i think her father's someone famous so somehow she's got loads of work being a ventriloquist and she's absolutely awful anyway i digress
0: <laughs> you do <laughs> yeah thanks for that simon that's right um uh, the. the uh, can
2: i bring up can i bring up something or yeah yeah go on were you about to spurt? were you about to spurt
0: um I, well I've only got I one think... more thing to say really about the Cybermen i've got I'm sorry, but I've got absolutely nothing to say about the Cybermen. I know I you think... guys wanted to do the Cybermen, but i but I've got one more thing to say, so I'll save it for a bit. All right,
2: okay. Well, I was just interested about the silhouette of, of the Cybermen because, you know, mo- most good Doctor Who characters and things, they've got good silhouettes, haven't they? You put them in black and you can tell them. You can tell the Daleks from a mile off, Ice Warriors, whatever. And the Cybermen have got this great silhouette with the jug head, you know, the kind of jug ears or whatever they were called. There,
0: in the Doctor Who and the Cybermen target book, isn't there a drawing in there of just the Cybermen's shadow falling across the wall and somebody cowering away from it.
2: Oh, I don't know. Mm. I can't remember, actually. Oh, That yeah, sounds I good, heard though. an
3: interview Go on. with the lady who designed the original costume. Mm. It was on an Australian podcast called Splendid Chaps. Mm. And she they asked her, oh, is, you must be so proud to have created this iconic design. What gave you the idea of putting the handles on the side of the head? And she was like, um... Well, I was kind of running out of time, and I had to get the drawing to the producer, so I just thought I'd stick them on at the last minute.
2: Wow! Yeah, but I think that's it. You see, a lot of these things happen, don't they? They just have to happen quickly, and you know, there it is. It's stuck. And the fact is, I think would they have survived as a as a, an iconic monster if you'd have taken
0: those things off their head?
2: Oh. I don't know if they would have done.
0: Yeah, maybe I not. Think, no, I think that I think you're absolutely right. I think the idea of the Cybermen is probably a fairly strong idea that got lost somewhere along the way. I think Mm. Jerry Davis and his introduction to the Target books tried to keep that part of the mythos alive, even Mm. though the actual stories themselves didn't reinforce this prologue he put in all these books. Mm. But I think... Things like... but well, the illustrations on the front. The illustrations on oh. the front of the Cybermen books always told a lot more than the actual stories mm. themselves, I think. Mm. Although I loved the book of Doctor Who and the Cybermen.
2: Yeah. The Tenth, tenth yes. Planet was great cover.
0: <clears throat> but not such a good book, I didn't think. I didn't enjoy no, no. that one so much.
2: That was, that was a very weak book with not a lot of description, wasn't it? It was just pretty much from script, but... Um... Yeah, the Cybermen was definitely the best cover and the best written book. I think at the Cybermen, so, yeah, all of them, in fact.
4: Yeah, I mean, it was it was great. You got you got them going out of the TARDIS in spacesuits, and yeah. that's just that's just great. I hadn't I hadn't seen that happen before. I think it was the first, <coughs> probably one of the first target, <coughs> target novels I read, and certainly one of the the first uh, Patrick Troughton I ever read. Yeah, I think I would have been the same. Yeah,
0: I I wonder if we will the moon base, obviously, Doctor Who and the Cybermen is two episodes exist, two episodes lost. I wonder if maybe next year we'll get an animation mm-hmm. of that. And I'd like if to see that. we do, I'd like to make a request now publicly to the people who animate these things if they can't also animate the two episodes that do exist that are really, really dull. <laughs>
4: <laughs> yes. <laughs>
3: I saw a little clip today that was... I think it only just went online today of planet, yeah. the animated regeneration from the 10th planet, and that looked fantastic. Well, really? the
0: actual regeneration is that... I just skipped through that really quickly because I was in the middle of something, but the actual regeneration itself, they've literally, literally just... Uh, what's that process called where they draw over the top of something? Rota, rotosco- Rotoscoping. Just rotoscoped the actual regeneration. Right, okay. Mm. So yes. Yes. It
4: does look great. I well, we cleaned it up, then, basically. Yeah,
0: it's nice, but, you know, it's, you know, absolutely frame for frame the regeneration you've already got, which is good, you know, which is probably the best way to do it. Because some people were calling for, some people said, you've got that clip of the regeneration, and if you animate episode four, then it should go into the live action for the regeneration uh, you know, and quite a few people... I had, think it would just detract. Yeah, quite a few people had quite a strong opinion of that, saying that should happen. Whereas, you know, uh, my my response to that was, can you imagine how badly that would take you out of the fiction if you suddenly had to jump <laughs> from animation to yeah. live action? Yeah. yeah. So the fact exactly. that they've just rotoscoped the actual shot is probably the best compromise. Absolutely, you know?
4: yeah. And are these people program makers?
0: No, they're not. No, 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 quite... Um, talking about Doctor in the Moon Base, I seem to remember when we were talking before, we were talking about the fact that Polly was sent out to make coffee, and mm. talking about how sexist <laughs> yeah. that was. Yeah. But you know, yeah. the important point to remember there is, and I realised listening back to this podcast, that I didn't point this out at the time, so I might as well now, seeing as we're talking about the story, and we're talking about the Sidemen, the important thing about that is not that she gets sent out to make coffee because she's a girl, but she gets sent out to make coffee because they need to... Uh, Chekhov's gun, the fact that it's going to be the sugar later on in the story that's given everybody the illness. Um, so it's not, she's sent out gosh. to make, it's not a sexist thing, it's like a, somebody needs to be sent out to make coffee and it needs to be one of the newcomers so the doctor can make that connection <laughs> with his head. Yeah, yeah. Oh, you man. Well, you know <laughs> what I'm saying? Is, you know, people always rag on about that scene, but it was going to be either her or Ben. Mm. you know there he goes again yeah, you, you never send the man out to make the coffee anyway do you so that's fine
2: mm. well let's be honest we'd make a better cut oh i'm joking um listen can i quickly move on to what we're talking about fashion <laughs> um the uh different types of costume right uh, mm. this is going to be rolling his eyes i know but throughout the ages i am one. i'm wondering whether the actual outfits themselves kind of reflected on fashion of the time in any shape or form i'm not sure it probably did actually but um
0: oh the 60s ones are very 60s and the 80s ones are very 80s they are they are the 60s ones have got um that kind of early 1960s drain pipes feel about them Oh, yeah, they have. <laughs> and the 80s ones have kind of got the... um You've got the moon boots. Yeah, but you. more it's than it's... just the moon boots, it's got that sort of puffer jacket feel about it as well. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. The, the sort the, of the, they're like, are plastic bits are all kind of a lot more puffy.
2: Yeah, it's... it's Are they RAF kind of flight jackets or something they, they're wearing? That kind of stuff, isn't it? Yeah. Yeah. And I'm... cricket clubs. Cricket
4: clubs. <laughs> yeah. Was it really? Yeah, they could print prune your hedges with those.
2: Wow. I'm never going to look at them the same again.
4: I did love the Earthshot redesign, though. I really did. <clears throat> I mean, it just... It was just lovely to see them. I mean, can we talk about that moment with the, with the Earthshot where they came back? I mean, that was just... Yeah. that was For me, that was incredible. But uh, as, I, as I've said before in a previous podcast, it was odd because apart from probably seeing Revenge of the Cybermen when I was very, very, very young, Probably about five years old, if not younger, I guess. Well, it was 1975, um, so you'd have been four. Four. So there you go. But I knew the Cybermen and I knew all of them. And whether that was just again through the Weetabix cards, probably through the Target novels, and to suddenly yeah. see the Cybermen was just something incredible. Really amazing.
2: You know, the, there was the monster annuals and things like that, or whatever they were, the monster books. Yeah. Um, which we would have all, all had, I'm sure. I absolutely loved those books, devoured them. Um, so when the Cyberman came back, it was it was a huge shock because, you know, I was watching it, not expecting it, and it, and there they were, and it's like, whoa, no way, man, they're great. And also there was that obviously lovely image of him being frozen in the door. Of course, when we sit down and pick the story apart and really, you know, like fans, it, it doesn't really hold up much and uh, as JR said, it's isn't as well written as everybody believes. But um I don't know, it just holds such a good nostalgic value.
4: Well, I mean, we're uh, not here
0: to look at the stories <laughs> anyway. We're looking at the way the Cybermen were treated, really, aren't we? Yeah. So. I was gonna
4: say if you're gonna focus on one stereotypically classic Cyberman design, I think it's the invasion. I think if you're gonna look at the the archetypal Cyberman that mm. everything is based on, I think that's the one. With and the-
0: i tell you why, because that was used on the Doctor Who and the Cybermen cover. Yeah, yeah quite, quite possibly, possibly, yeah. So, it's yeah. also on the front of the Doctor Who monster book, and so it became mm. the Cyberman design for a generation. And if you look at the 80s mm. ones, although they may have redesigned the body, the head is very, very little differences. Hmm. So it's, I mean
2: you've got the teardrop disappears, doesn't it? That you have. Um which is a lovely little addition, I think. An interesting addition. I don't think so. I, I think, think
4: they, they do.
0: do. I think they do. Hang on, you I've sh- got one
4: right here.
2: Have a look, JR,
0: you tell me. Um oh actually it's so small. Uh, no teardrops. Yeah, see? That's What's still the cool? nemesis. <laughs> I've got an earth shock one here as well. Let me grab the earthshock one. And I can tell you, no teardrops there either. So there you oh, go. Really, yeah. no they teardrops in the eighties.
2: Yeah, they disappear, and then of course, when they came back with the new design, I was really pleased because it made such a difference. You know, you look at it, you go, ah, oh, that's that's what they're supposed to look like. That's what they had
0: the, um, to look like. But the teardrops the didn't show up till nineteen sixty-seven, anyway. Yeah. We're in space. Mm.
4: <coughs> and where did are that they, come they, from? They, what a funny, de- what a funny decision, but what a beautiful decision. I think so. I think it's great.
2: It's almost like a teardrop from a clown, isn't it? Which is bizarre.
0: Yeah, but also the other thing is, it looks like a kind of, sort of, functional thing. I mean, in the new series obviously they've said it's a duct, but it just looks like a screw hole. <laughs> yeah, I suppose it I does. I don't know, really I think,
4: they, you know, not with the obvious of it being a tear, but they do look kind of sad and kind of forlorn, and I think that, that adds to the, the mystery of them as well. It's, yeah. it's, it, there, there is a lot of it's funny, you read a lot of depth into the Cybermen that just isn't there, isn't actually physically there in the stories. But if you stop and think, it's one of the, the again, where I talk about the holes in Doctor Who are more important than the actual things. It's the <laughs> it's the psychological thing that goes on. The design is probably the most incredible important thing about the Cybermen, I think. Um, yeah. If they didn't look like they do, I don't think they would be anywhere near as successful. Then
2: uh, can we just quickly look at the design of the new ones and what we think of that them? Because that is a that's quite a radical design, I think.
4: What are you talking?
2: Age of Steel onwards, or uh, no? I'm talking about the new ones that are coming up that we've we've had a glimpse of from the right. game's episode.
0: You think that's radical?
2: Well, in a way that it's radical because it's for Doctor Who because it's emulating pretty much cinematic style, very very. You know, if you look at Iron Man or anybody, any other monster that happens to be there, they have this kind of, I don't know how you call it, it's almost like fish scales, the way that the, the armor's pleated or whatever. And so it allows movement for whoever's in the, the armour. <coughs> That's never really been thought of before, even the Santarans haven't got
0: Yeah, the Santarans have got that, the new but series you... Sontarans. I'm looking at one right now. What, exactly the same? Yeah, pretty much. not obviously not exactly the same. It's a Sontaran <laughs> costume rather than a Cybermen one.
2: Yeah, I'm just thinking whether there's... Yeah, I mean, it gives it more movement. So The, this is the more...
0: RTD Cybermen have got some of that going on as well, have they not? And they're also a lot slimmer, and they move. They look like they can move
2: faster. If, and if I don't think we've ever really seen any Cybermen move fast. And I've always wanted to see one running down the road. Because that would be terrifying. Well, they the bell-bottom You're so, not
0: I... going to see Cybermen running around in this. Why not? Oh, I don't know. I don't know. I don't
4: know about running, but certainly some pretty fast stomping, I think, is going to go on. They run in the graphic novels and the comic strips.
0: <laughs> oh, I don't know. There's, um, you know, we've seen photographs of them marching around. I've called up a picture of a Russell T. Davis Cyberman now, and there is definitely mm-hmm. some of that scales thing going on there.
2: Uh, cool, was, so. yeah, okay, well, I, I, I don't not that impressed with if them. If
4: I was going to distinguish between the RTD Cyberman and the new one, I'd say RTD is more Iron Giant, whereas the new one is more Iron Man. That's my way yeah. of looking at
0: it. I really don't see a great deal of difference between them. Yeah,
4: I do, see.
0: Um, it just looks shorter and squatter.
4: I just think they it look def- more um, lithe, and, and there are more lines. It's more kind of Tron, almost like there's a Jean-Gerard Mobius kind of bit going in there. Um, oh look at you (laughs) yeah well there you go because mobius mobius was one of the main designers on tron wasn't he the original so yeah yeah. um no
2: you're not wrong that that's true it does look a bit like that but i don't i like that i think the cyberman should be that sleek that terrifyingly quicker to get to you because they're blimmin cybernetic for goodness sake when you look at the terminator um you know they kind of nowadays, and especially the new ones, they do run about, and you—it's terrifying because you imagine this hulk of a machine running towards you, um, with absolutely no emotion. It, that would be awful to imagine that running down the street. You and you didn't get that; you only got the ploddy, ploddy marching slow monster from the Cybermen.
0: I so don't. Was... I don't think you're going to get Doctor Who monsters running around. It'd be like yeah. Benny Hill meets. Tenth, you know, tenth <laughs> planet.
2: No, no, you can, you can, Aww. you can
0: measure. You could
2: easily measure it. It, it, it would sound great. You know, a chunk, 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 chunk kind of running as opposed to clomp, clomp. Are you clomp saying, clomp running. Are we
4: never going to see the Rustin Robot again? Then? Oh, I mean, that's, that's ridiculous. ridiculous. 50th. <laughs> <laughs> yes, if they can bring back Ch- Captain Jack, they can bring back the Rustin Robot.
0: <laughs> I hope not. I really hope not. <laughs> Too late. Okay, Um, I'm going to pull this back round to, in storytelling terms, yeah. or as Mark would say, uh, my author... What's the word you usually say, Mark? Oh, your authorly viewpoint. Oh, yeah, yeah, awfully, that's the word I was looking for. Your authorly eye. Look, in the Tenth Planet, Tenth Planet was a reaction to the prospect of heart transplants and things like that. Yeah. The idea being, if you can replace a heart what, with another heart, what's to stop you from replacing a heart with an electronic heart? And if a human has an electronic heart, is that really a human anymore? Mm. You know, Or if, if you take the heart out, have you not replaced the soul? And is the creature you've therefore created not a soulless mm. creature that's really what the 10th planet is kind of a reaction to mm. and after that none of the other cybermen stories in the classic series really come back to that at all yes okay you've got little bits like uh, peter Davison's speech in earth where he says mm. wouldn't you like a nice cup of tea once in a while you know that kind of thing but- <laughs> Have you never wanted a fry-up? Yeah. Have you never enjoyed a fry-up a nice cup of tea? Have you never enjoyed? Have you never enjoyed the smell of warm farts under bed covers? What did you think of the smell of that fart, Mister Cyberman? Absolute. <laughs> that sort of thing. Actually, 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 actually I, I prefer coffee, coffee just, just not, not gold, gold blend. blend. As long as you don't have any sugar in it.
1: <laughs>
0: that's terrible. Uh. Um, but then you come to Rise of the Cybermen, right? And mm. that's the The one thing about the new series is you know, whereas the classic series, and this is particularly true with Russell T. Davis stories, whereas the classic series could do stories just for the sake of having a story because Mm -hmm. a lot of the time they had so much space to fill um, Mm -hmm. you know, they would just get anything on screen. But with the new series, Russell T. Davis very definitely when he started said we will not have any stories that won't have a point or a purpose. And I think that's still true even up till now that, that you don't get a story that doesn't have some kind of greater resonance it even I mean you look at things like Love and Monsters and you know there's a whole mm-hmm. subtextual level to that story it's, as a the host so when Russell T Davis brought the Cybermen back there's no way he wasn't going to do it without addressing something in the same way as the 10th planet addressed something and what he did was he addressed the whole Upgrade thing, the whole mm. Apple Mac, iPod, iPad, <sighs> yeah. what's yeah. the next thing going to be? And, mm. you know, uh, <clears throat> because this is like a science fiction idea that's been around for a while, mm. is that mm. eventually, rather than have external devices, you'd have internal implants to do the same thing. I mean, basically, it's a science fiction idea that one day you'll have an iPad that's like just a little bit of metal that's just on the inside of your skull and directly downloads into your brain, right? Which, which will happen. Yeah. yeah. Well, this is, <laughs> this is what Russell T. Davis wanted to address with Rise of the Cybermen. So my question to you three is, does it do that successfully? No. Why not? But do you not think so, really? And why do you not think it does?
4: Oh. I, I, it's just a story that I've only ever watched once. I just find it really quite dull. and I, th- I, I still struggle, and I'm trying not to go off subject here, but I still struggle with the idea that it went to this um, parallel universe. I, don't, I still don't yeah. understand why that happened at all. Because... At all. That,
0: uh, well, the reason they did that was because the Cybermen's origin story had already been told in The Tenth Planet... And if Russell T. Davis wanted to address something different with the Cybermen, then he was going to have to tell the origin story again. But because he'd set himself the task of being a continuation of Doctor Who rather than a reimagining of it, if you're going to reimagine how the Cybermen get started, you have to do it on an alternative planet Earth. Okay. Yeah,
2: I think um, the the alternative planet Earth is just the backdrop in the setting for, for the story to take place. But what I think... Um, I I I think it's a good idea. I think it has um, addressed an issue that people walking around with Bluetooth in their ears. Um, you know, the older generation look at it again, "Oh, it's going to be in their brains soon." You know they're all worried about that, and you know you look at um, the younger generation with the mobile stuck to their face all the time. You know where's it going to end? Where's this addictiveness going to end? And actually, that's kind of like a war- it is a bit like a warning story. You know, if you're going to plug yourself in, you're eventually going to get all. You know, you will be hypnotized by something or taken over by something. Well, and no, just you're, you're taking it too
0: far. It's not even that. It's I I always saw it as that. But but if you think about it, it's not even that. It's not even how far will you take it. That's the horror story aspect of it yeah the reflecting back on society aspect of it is you see the guy walking down the road with the mobile phone stuck to his ear he just steps out in front of traffic and walks across as if nothing's wrong mm-hmm. and one day right. somebody's going to do that and get knocked over because people are now so immersed in their mobile phones and whatever <clears> else <throat> they've got attached that they're not taking any notice of the world around them anymore and the perfect <clears throat> Example of that in that story is the bit where they all stop to download the latest news and joke. Yes, brilliant. And that's it. That's you know, mm. it's treated as a horror story that if this was to continue eventually, these applications would literally be a part of our bodies as opposed to something external that we just devote our time to. But the 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 way it reflects back on modern current society is just in saying that it doesn't even need to be internalised because w- w- in a way we already devote so much of our attention to it that, you know, that's happened in all but actuality. So,
4: so Joe, yeah. was it intentional that we're doing this podcast for the first time over the internet? No.
0: <laughs> <laughs> I didn't even decide we were going to do the Sidemen until 10 minutes before Mark can tell you exactly <laughs> when. It's up on Facebook. yeah, yeah. Yeah. <laughs>
3: Talking of Facebook, if you go to the Blue Box Podcast uh, Facebook page, you can see the infamous Ambassadors of Death chart where JR sat there and watched it all the way through. Oh, really? And marked off <laughs> when it's in black and white and when it's
2: in colour.
0: I did. What? Oh, Lee doesn't even know what you're talking about. We mentioned this yes. last week. Lee, have you we? heard of
2: this thing called the internet? Yeah, I don't listen to our podcast. What, what
0: was that all about? <laughs> but you were taking part in this podcast. Oh, Crumbs, was I? Sorry, yeah, I do know what you're talking about. (laughs) Also, I finished the, well, I'd say I finished, I took it up to 1994, I think, the repeats. Oh, right. There's a link on our Facebook page. (laughs) Well, no, because we were talking about all these things lately, the Doctor Who, uh, the five faces of Doctor Who, Mm. Yeah. I've got the dates. I hadn't realised, I probably did know, but I'd forgotten but episode one of The Three Doctors as part of the Five Faces repeat season was repeated on Doctor Who's birthday, the 23rd of November. Ooh. Right. Uh, Yeah, so I've got a list of all the terrestrial repeats from the start of the series to uh, 1994 or something like that.
1: Yeah. And there's
0: a link to it on our Facebook page. Along with, you know, I said I was going to do this. There's a list of all the Target books and the months they came out. List of all the VHS releases in order and their release dates, and the DVDs mm. and all what else. There's all sorts of stuff there.
2: Yeah, mm. and where do we find this again?
0: Well, it's on our Facebook page. Okay. Or if you're not on Facebook or you uh, you haven't found us on Facebook, you can just go to um, watchingdoctorwho.weebly.com and down the left-hand side of the page, you'll find buttons and there's one there that says information or something. Mm. Well, that's where you got the Weetabix scans and all that, isn't it? Yeah, the Weetabix scans are there. And so is the scan of the Ambassadors of Death chart. Oh, and so is that Battlefield trailer that um, (laughs) got lost that I found on a VHS that's not on the DVD. Ooh! Did you think
2: you are, Ian Levine?
0: (laughs) (laughs) Nobody had it. I
2: can't believe nobody had it. I think I said this before then. I've got a load of um, recordings back in the... 80s of the five faces of doctor who's so there's stuff in between so if i grab hold of those and you can use them and upload them or will we all get done for that
0: you No, know, <laughs> <who really cares. laughs> i'm not going to record off entire episodes you don't mean that
2: no 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 i meant all the kind of in-betweeny bits <laughs> news, i'm sure, sure they've so. done that, haven't that haven't they? They? I'm, I'm sure, sure they, they
4: have. have whatever simon yeah you always got like the original tapes man bloody late tapes. to the party aren't you lee
2: <laughs> <laughs> always well yeah. I'm not entirely
0: but, sure because I don't remember I don't take an awful lot of notes of the continuity links that they put on the DVDs but I'm not sure whether the continuities from the five faces are on the DVDs of those five stories oh okay yeah we mm-hmm. should look into that Yeah. <clears throat> anyway back to the TARDIS yes the what? <laughs> that's a reference to another episode that we did that Lee's not been in. Oh, yeah. Oh, always late to the party. You've actually yes. heard this one, though. It's the Am one I? where I said, oh, my God, there's a fly in the car. I must drive it into this pond to get rid of it. Oh,
2: do you know, that was such a... F- <laughs> that was so funny. I was driving on my way to work and I had to pull over because I was crying with laughter. It was so funny. <laughs> I don't know why. It was just that's probably the funniest thing you've ever said, Ja, and that's a little bit sad in a way.
0: <laughs> you guys lovely i love you guys yeah, i'm so glad we're doing this by skype i can't actually perform physical violence on you like this
3: <laughs> um back to the side like an elephant he never forgets. Yeah.
0: back to the sidemen we ought to talk more about the Cybermen, yeah didn't we um you know we talked about this when we talked about series six but closing time Everybody oh, yeah. hates that because the Cybermen are only in it for five minutes, and because they mm. get destroyed by like love, right? Mm. But actually, <laughs> I think of all the new series stories since Rise of the Cybermen, I think that's the one that tells the Cybermen the best.
4: Yeah, there was right. that emotive moment, wasn't there, where you thought, "Oh, hang on a minute, he is actually going to get converted here," and that,
0: and that, <laughs> <But> he <laughs> saves the... himself, and he yeah. short circuits it because he saves himself because his emotional response to the idea of never seeing his son again, or not caring about seeing his son again, is so powerful, that to me, you know, people said, oh, that's cop-out. But to me, that's absolutely the way you should defeat the Cybermen. Mm-hmm. And it's not a million I, miles away from how the demons were defeated. hazard you know. <laughs> back in the demons It's exactly the same, really. So mm-hmm. it's not like people mm-hmm. can say it's unprecedented either. Mark, what do you others- think?
3: I think um, I've just worked out what Simon Cyberman voice is. It's been bugging me ever since he started doing it? it. You know in The Simpsons where Homer pretends to be someone else and he puts on a really bad voice? <laughs> it's that voice. <laughs> Do it get? I am I not Homer you. Simpson.
0: <laughs> right, it's getting on. I am going to Steve from Manchester's email now. <clears throat> um, oh, this goes back a couple of weeks as well. We talked about... Um, We talked about the possibility of the multi-doctors, didn't we, and Christopher Eccleston. He says, Dear Blue Box Podcast, is it really any mystery that Christopher Eccleston refuses to pander to fandom? Look how he was treated by fans within a week of the return of the show in 2005 when his departure was leaked. He was treated like dirt in an hysterical tantrum by that element of Doctor Who fandom, which manages to combine self-righteousness with self-pity and self-loathing. Any doubts he may have had as to the wisdom of leaving the role were probably mm. removed by first hand experience of the sad little petulant wanker that lies at the heart of most Doctor Who fans, present company accepted, of course.
2: <laughs> mm. I wouldn't say most Doctor Who fans, I think it's probably a smaller proportion than we think, isn't it? Think yeah, so. but some. Some. But I think The vocal minority. He, he is right. He is right on that. The case. vocal I minority,
0: mean, the, yeah.
2: Eccleston was definitely put off, I think. You know, you could tell, couldn't you? He hasn't done any any conventions. He's not really wanted to be part of Big Finish or anything like that. So, you know, he hasn't even done a reading. You know, David Tennant's read some of the storybooks. Eccleston could have done it, but he hasn't. So I, I do feel like he's probably, he has distanced himself a bit. But, you know, the 50th is coming up. He's looking a bit more bright and cheery. And like, you know, I think you had a theory as to why he was appearing in the 50th, JR, which you said on the Missing podcast. So maybe you can tell us all again why you think he might be appearing.
0: Oh, really? Maybe I could get through the email first. Oh, go on then. I can't Because I can't remember, so I'll have to try and remind myself. Mm. Mm. Oh, no, I remember what you said, what I said <laughs> now, and what you said. Yes, yes, you're right. I know that was quite a good point, actually, so I'll bring it up. Mm. Anyway, <laughs> let's get to that part of the email, because there's another two paragraphs before I get to that.
3: Yeah.
0: Okay, Steve from Manchester carries on. The way it sounds, some people would be perfectly happy for Christopher Eccleston to secretly loathe the show, provided only that he lie through his teeth in public about loving it. Speaking for myself, I must be one of those rare Doctor Who fans who is sufficiently secure in my own love of the show that I don't need to be provided with constant reassurances that everyone else loves it too. It's like a religious cult. It isn't enough that you believe, everyone else has to believe too, or you can't be happy. Is it really so hard for us to grasp that once an actor has left the show, we cease to have any moral claim on his time or his conscience? We've no right to feel personally insulted if he declines to attend conventions or return for multi-doctor anniversary stories. Mm. And that's the point at which I addressed. Mm. Why I think it's more likely that Christopher Eccleston might appear in the 50th anniversary story, if indeed he is called upon to do so. And the reason I gave was this i said that every time christopher eccleston goes anywhere or does anything there is always but always somebody there badgering him about doctor who and there always will be until he puts a full stop on his doctor and the only way you can put a full stop on his doctor is by appearing in the special Mm. if it's an afternoon's work or maybe a couple of days work or a week's work You know, I I, I said this, didn't I? You can imagine the conversation with his agent. And his agent says to him, Chris, uh, we've got the Doctor Who people on the line. They want (laughs) you for a couple of days in April to be in the 50th anniversary special. And Christopher Eccleston says, you've got to be joking me, right? And And the agent says to him, look, you know how every time you do an interview, they say to you, what was it like being Doctor Who? When are you coming back to Doctor Who? And you know how that's really, really getting on your nerves? And Christopher Eccleson says, Yep. The agent says, The agent then says to him, You do these two days in Cardiff in April, and that stops forever.
2: Yeah. Wow, that's a cynical way of looking at life. (laughs) But you're probably right.
0: But also, I don't think he necessarily doesn't want to do it. No, no.
2: No, I think maybe there's enough time past that he'd probably think, do you know what? I could probably come back to this and give it a go again. And I
0: think fans make a lot more of the fact that he hasn't, you know, been banging on about wanting to do it than there is to be made of it. You know, Mm. I don't... The the mere fact that he doesn't walk around saying oh god, I wish I was still Doctor Who doesn't necessarily mean he doesn't actually think from time to time. Gosh, Mm. imagine what it might have been like if I'd have done another series on that. Anyway, Simon, you're about to say something. No, no, I was just going to say
4: that we're talking another 25 years, aren't we, before there's any other landmark, 75 will be the next, wouldn't it?
0: Well, you know, it doesn't stop them doing 60.
4: Yeah, they're not going to do a multi-doctor at the 60th, are they?
0: It depends. You know, they're going to do a... For the 50th, you would expect all 11 doctors. But for the 60th, you would also expect something which might yeah, be yeah. a couple of new series doctors or something, whatever. But you'd expect yeah, all, something for the 60th. Yeah, all, all three canines. <laughs> the other thing, as well, of course, is Stephen Moffat is going to presumably talk to Christopher Eccleston and tell him about Tom Baker and the 20th. Mm, yeah. Because Tom Baker says, you know, he has always regretted that ever since, you know, ever since he came around to the idea. He's always kicked himself for not having done that. Anyway, it's really late. Uh, One more paragraph in Steve's um, email. Regarding the Master, the fact that Professor Moriarty may only have appeared twice in the Sherlock Holmes canon does not mean that the Master can't have been inspired by him. When someone uses Professor Moriarty as an archetype, as in A is the equivalent of a Moriarty figure for B... He's surely trying to convey the idea of someone who is a mirror image arch enemy of B, not an enemy whom B only encounters twice. Otherwise, director Paddy Russell could be called a Moriarty for Tom Baker. But actually, yeah, you know but... what? I re-listened to that this morning, and actually that is the point that Mark and I made, isn't it?
2: I th- is it, Mark? I don't know. I've slept since then.
0: <laughs> it, <laughs> yeah, it was. We did actually say that, I think. But yeah. I went on to say something else, so perhaps that didn't come out quite so clearly, but...
2: Yeah, but I mean, you know, the, uh, addressing the master as a Moriarty arch- archetype—the way that that mess- uh, that email was said—it sounds like it was applied after the master was created, not a reason for creating the master. Mm. Um, that's what you said, wasn't it? Yeah, exactly. Yeah, sorry, that was, I thought that's what you said.
0: It's tired now. <laughs> no, I think the kind of the point I made was that they needed that the, they when they came up with the idea of the master it was because they needed something for the doctor to 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 give Doctor Who a plausible reason for why alien invasions would be coming to earth Mm. first and foremost and the idea of coming up with a Moriarty figure was perhaps secondary even if they didn't know that at the time Mm. that will have been the subconscious thinking at the very least I said yeah Anyway, Anyway, we we already went for that, didn't we?
2: Before we kind of leave, because I think it's winding up, isn't it? Um, I just want to apologise. I think I said it's tired, which was a combination of I'm tired and it's late.
4: (laughs) 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 Uh, The Lee unit
0: is tired. Hello, I'm a cyber leader. Lee unit is tired. (laughs) Um, Oh, before we go, we should have a Cyberman related on the spot. Um, um, oh, randomly, I am picking Lee. Hey, do you know what? I can turn this off from this end. This no, is but gone, Lee, here's the thing. You're always complaining about the fact that nobody ever lets you talk. Get on with it. And yet, <laughs> what you do, and yet last time we did an on-the-spot, you couldn't even get 60 seconds. You did about 40, 45. <laughs> did I really? Yes. What was it last time? Uh, oh, it was the Space Museum. Oh, well, that's not surprising, is it? Why, I would have been able to talk for 60 seconds on the Space Museum. Slowly, yeah. All right, go on then. What's this next one? Well, I'm going to give you a Cyberman-related one, okay? I'll make it nice and easy for you. I will give you 60 seconds on The Next Doctor.
2: The Next Doctor. <clears throat> oh, that's an interesting one. We didn't talk about that, did we? Um. Right, okay, well... Hmm... That's, that's really confused me all of a sudden because we didn't even touch upon that one.
3: That's about 10 seconds. Yeah,
2: right? no, I'm just trying to think of what to say in context
0: of what we've been talking about. Um, no, you don't have to speak in context of what we've seconds, been talking yeah. about because that's the whole point of on the spot. You're just talking about the story now. It's different. Yeah. It's separate many... from the rest of the episode. No, you're Thank right. i you back to seconds? zero on this. Oh! oh
2: you're about halfway now. <laughs> <laughs> I was doing so well at flab- flabbering. Um, okay, go on then. Right, next Doctor... Uh Cyber Shades, the worst creation of monster ever. I was really disappointed. Brings the whole episode Wrong. down. If they get if they were to get rid of those or replaced with something else I think that episode would have shone brightly I know a lot of people moan about the giant um, kind of iron giant at the end stomping around Victorian London but um, Stephen Moffat and RTD have got a reason for it being there Um, so therefore it's okay with me and I actually really like the audacity of the thing stomping around Victorian London it's great fun and as a kid I would have loved that I think uh, Hartigan was an absolutely fantastic female villain shame that she's gone she could have easily come back Um, And I thought um, David Morrissey, I don't think would have made a good next Doctor. I know everybody else thinks otherwise, but I absolutely adore him in this and he was perfect for the role. And I love the story. There's a lot of heart in it. There's a lot of soul. Beautifully Victorian. I definitely believe the setting. The whole thing i just I just utterly adored it. I thought it was a fantastic episode. The info stamp is not cop out. I thought it was a great idea, and I also, like all the little f- uh, uh doctors uh flicking up throughout the info stamp moment, that gave me a little tickle too um didn't mind any I thought it had a really good story as well. The actual memory loss idea was uh, was a was a great one and very interesting mystery as to why this person thought he was the next Doctor. It caught me out, like most of RTD's little twists. Uh, it caught me out in a very happy way, and it was a great Christmas episode, and the family all enjoyed it as well. So I can't really say too much about that. That isn't. It's not a bad story at all. It's great, and you've all switched off, haven't you?
4: No. <laughs> oh
0: yeah, <you're> still... <laughs> letting you have your <laughs> I say. Isn't there, that isn't was there three a, minutes, a, by the way. There's a Paul oh, McGann yeah. <laughs> um,
4: big finish story in during which. Is everyone still there?
0: Yeah, We're, yeah. Going bed, yes, still We're going to bed, We're going to bed. Carry on it, talking if you want. There's a,
4: <laughs> Not together. I'm sure there's a Paul McGann story where a very similar thing happens where another character takes on the Doctor's persona and the Doctor forgets who he is at the same time. And I can't think of what it's
2: called. Oh, there's uh, there was. Was it. It's either Zagreus or it might have been the Minuet in Hell. Something like that, wasn't it? There wasn't Minuet term, in Hell,
4: I think it was. Yeah. It was
2: Minuet in Hell, wasn't it? And I think it was Nick Nicholas Briggs, in fact, who played a character called Gideon. In a in a jail or that's something right. and that's right. I'm sure he took on the personality of the doctor. Yeah, that was that's quite a bizarre episode uh for the Big Finish, but I really enjoyed that. Yeah. Uh, I think it was uh, was it directed by Gary Russell, is that right? Okay,
0: enough information about the Big Finish story, guys.
2: Yeah. Well I just <laughs> wanted to let people know, you know, Gary Russell's coming to Phonicon two thousand and thirteen. Go and find it on Facebook chaps. Is that Phonicon, did you say Yeah, that was Phonicon two thousand thirteen at the oh, to Phoenix yeah april the 7th is is there a website there is a website it's www.funacon.org.uk
0: go check it out chappies Sweet. and on that note (laughs) uh, next week we will do the alien planets episode that we should have had for you this week Mm. and after that we are going to be doing amongst other things season 20 Since it's the anniversary year, we're doing the anniversary seasons. Yeah, and we also, at some point in the not too distant future, will be doing um, an episode that looks at non-fiction books, non-fiction publishing. (coughs)
4: Right. Okay. Season twenty contained King's Demons. It did indeed. It did. We better be quite kind about that because we, Tony, we've just found out Tony Virgo, (laughs) director of the King's Demons, is coming to Phonicon. I was JR.
3: I was Lee. <laughs> I was Mark.
0: I was Simon. And we'll speak again soon. I'm
3: shrieking my booty. I know you got a thing for show tunes,
1: but does a tune in a place.
4: You can contact us by email via blueboxpodcast at yahoo.co.uk.